Hey there, my name is Chris Wallace, and I am the lead pastor at Hope City Church in Bismarck, North Dakota. We exist to lead people to enjoy Jesus and multiply disciples in real life. We are so glad you're checking out our podcast today. We hope this message inspires you, challenges you, and most importantly, draws you closer to Jesus in a real way. For more information about Hope City, you can check out our website at hopecitybismarck.com. So super pumped to start a new series this morning, and I do not use sports illustrations very often, and the more I talk, the more you'll understand why and be like, oh, he doesn't know a lot about sports. Uh, I'm the guy who's like, go team, because I'm not real sure, like, what the scoring system is here. Um, but I did play football in high school, and so I knew a little bit about football at least. Um, and so I was thinking this past week about the first season of my freshman year, uh, and it was incredible. We had It was the first game of the season. We had worked hard all summer. For those of you who have played football, you know what I'm talking about. All summer long, training, prepping, running plays, sweating. I grew up around North Mississippi, so hot, humid. You put in the work and the hours, and the moment was here. The sun was setting. The energy was rising. People are in the stands. It's game time, and I jumped into my position on the bench. It was incredible, though. It was incredible because now finally I got to watch all my friends go out on the field and I got to listen to the coach, tell them the plays, and then I got to watch them play those plays. It was incredible and I knew I was such a huge part of that game and I was so thankful that I could be on the team and to help so much because we all know that the bench is an incredibly important part of high school football. You know that's not true. (laughs) Every single game, I was waiting to hear what? Wallace, yes, I am not going to be on the bench anymore. I'm going to be in the game. It makes so much sense. It's ridiculous to talk about football like that. Of course, playing in the game is more exciting than sitting on the bench. But I have a question. Why is it when we come to the church, it's very accepted and it's very normal to be a spectator? To not be in the game is a very regular part of many Christians' experience. We've been saved by Jesus for a purpose, not just from the penalty of our sin. Praise God, the penalty of our sin is nailed to the cross. It's not coming back, but there's more to it. We're saved for something as well. We haven't been just rescued from hell. We've been saved to Jesus When we give our lives to Jesus, he gives us a brand new identity. And now we're not just coasting until heaven. He's given us a brand new purpose right here, right now to join him in the greatest adventure and the greatest privilege on planet earth of advancing his name and his kingdom in this world in real ways. So the question is why? Why are so many Christians, and I mean so many, I know tons of people in in my family, friends that I have, people in my neighborhood, people I've worked with, all around me, people that name the name of Jesus, but don't want to do a single thing for him. Why is that normal? Why is that so accepted? Why is that so regular? Why don't more believers live wholeheartedly with Jesus in all of life? I'll tell you, serving Jesus is very inconvenient. That's a reason. 
Serving Jesus is inconvenient. It's not going to go the way you want it to. I can guarantee it. He's going to call you to do things that are going to make you uncomfortable. It's not going to be easy. And that's a problem for a lot of people. It's inconvenient to really follow Jesus, to really do what he's told me to do. It's also costly. Your money's no longer your money. Your time is no longer your time. You have to sacrifice. You have to give. And yes, you received so much from Jesus, but, but then he demands it all. And that's just too much for a lot of people. They don't, don't want to pay any kind of cost for discipleship. And ultimately, serving Jesus requires surrendering complete control of your life. And if any of you are like me, that's a big one. I want to control my life. I want to set the direction of my future and my life and my family. I want to build the life that I want to build. But you come to Jesus and he says, no, you're not Lord. You're not in the driver's seat. You're not the captain. He is. He decides what your life looks like now. And that's tough. So there's a lot of Christians who have kind of rewritten it. And we could talk about a lot of different people, but I think the most important question for us to wrestle with today is not what are other people doing, it's what are you doing this morning? Are you on the bench? Are you in the game? And that's a question I don't know the answer for everyone here. I pray that you're in the game, loving Jesus, serving him with all your heart, but but that's for you to answer and to wrestle with. And just for you to know Jesus wants something more for you than to just be a spectator than for you to sit back and watch other people be a part of what he's doing in this world. So that's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. We're going to take four weeks and just kind of spend some time talking about what does it mean to be a servant of Christ? What does it mean to serve Jesus in real life? Uh, And today we're going to be in John chapter 13. Um, The last three weeks we'll be in Ephesians 4, really unpacking that chapter uh, in a little bit more depth. But this is not my call. This is not my challenge. This is an invitation from King Jesus to lay down this shallow, consumer-centered Christianity and to see the beauty and the power of the life that he died for and rose again for to give all of us. So do you want to experience more in your faith? Do you want to encounter and experience Jesus Christ and his kingdom in real ways in your real life? That's the invitation. Jesus is saying, don't settle. Don't sit back. Let's all of us together get off the bench and pursue this. Jesus, we want what you want. We want you. We want what you have saved us for. So if you have your copy of the scriptures, if you'll join me in John 13, we're going to walk through this passage today. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible uh, in, in front of you, unless you're on the front row. And then you're welcome to to walk around and get one if you want. But, um, but for the rest of you, you can see the Bibles under the chairs. Those are yours to keep. Uh, if you need a Bible, uh, we always want to gift those. Uh, but if you'll join me in John 13, we're going to make our way through this passage. And here's the idea we're going to unpack. Where's Daniel? He's outside with the kids. He attacked the word unpack last week. I would like to say it's okay for pastors, myself included, every week to say the word unpack. And there was no seminary class, but Jesus taught me that. That's just a side note, but me and Daniel had a long discussion about that. It was funny. But so here's our big idea this week. Jesus doesn't just want you to serve. He wants to make you a servant. Jesus doesn't just want you to serve. He wants to make you a servant. There's a huge difference between those two. Jesus doesn't just want behavior change from you. He wants your heart to change. He wants to transform who you are and how you think and how you desire and how you see the people around you and the world around you. 
He wants to set you free from yourself and to set you free to be the servant God has called you to be. So how do we become servants? How do we make that shift from just doing stuff for Jesus to actually being a servant, having the heart of a servant? In John 13, Jesus tells us the key to becoming a true servant. So this is the night before the cross. So if you can imagine this, Jesus knows what's coming. Crucifixion was heavy on his mind. And here he is seated around a table with his disciples having a very heavy meal. And he knows this is one of his last moments like this until after the resurrection. And the text tells us he loves these men. In verse 1, it says he loved them to the end. And I think they represent us of how Jesus loved us, the extent that he loved us. And he's poured his life out into these men. For over three years, Jesus has poured so much into them. And then it says this, in light of all of that, in light of all that's about to happen, look at verse 4. It says, Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So on this night, Jesus could have done anything. He could have taught anything with these men, but with these very last few moments, he decides to do something in a very particular way to teach these men what it means to truly be leaders. And the the answer to that is it's to be great servants. So this is the key. How do we become servants? Jesus uh, shows us three things here in this passage. First, you must receive Jesus as your servant. You must receive Jesus as your servant. Does that sound strange to hear it that way? I kept reading that sentence going, like, I, think it's a, I think this is right. I think this is right. Because you hear that and you say, Jesus is my king. Jesus is my Lord. I bow to him. He doesn't bow to me. But that's the predicament in this text. That's where the disciples are at. They, they see Jesus as king. They don't see Jesus as servant. This is the Messiah, the long-awaited, forever true king of kings. And what does he do? He takes off his clothes, his outer garment. He sets them aside and he puts on the clothes of a servant. And he begins to go around one by one and wash the disciples' nasty feet. You see, what's really interesting in, in our culture, we don't, we don't really get the shock of this moment. I know people still wash feet. It's still weird. Um, but like, we don't get the shock of what happened in this passage. And so in this culture, somebody would have had the role of washing their feet. It would not have been Jesus. This was reserved for the lowest of low, for the servants uh, underneath the servants. This was a very low task, a humiliating task. And so when they came into this room, they've been eating together, and they all have disgusting feet. The ironic part is not one of the disciples said, maybe I should wash Jesus' feet. Maybe I should wash the other men around this table's feet. So nobody did that. And here these men are sitting in an uncustomary way with dirty feet eating dinner together. And then Jesus steps in and he begins to do something unthinkable. And so I was thinking about this, trying to like imagine something that would maybe capture what this was like for them. And so I got to thinking the closest thing I could come up with was imagine like the most important person you can imagine comes to your house unexpectedly. So you're thinking, okay, I've got to like, I got to throw a quick meal together. I got to like try to make this nice, make, show my honor, show my respect. And then this person just bypasses all your stuff you're trying, trying to do and all this honor you're trying to show. And they go to your bathroom 
And let's say you're like, oh no, I have not cleaned those. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. That moment you're like, please, nobody show up. It's not good. It's been a while. And so say they go in there. This is, I mean, the, the most important person you can imagine gets on their hands and their knees and begins to scrub your toilet. And you're just like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. That's what they're feeling here. And I'll show you, I'm not making this up. So in a small way, that's how crazy this was. The Messiah would never wash feet. Never. This is ridiculous. Look at verse six. So he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now that question in English sounds like he's just asking a question. Uh, But in the original languages, the emphasis is like, are you out of your mind? Are you really about to touch my feet? And Peter's literally telling Jesus, there's no way that you can do this. And so Jesus answered him, verse seven, what I am doing, you do not understand now, obviously, but afterward you will understand. And then Peter said to him, just to clear it up, you shall never wash my feet. It's a very strong word in Greek as well. That never, I mean, it's, he literally means there's not a single scenario where I can imagine you ever, ever, ever washing my feet, Jesus. Never are you going to touch my feet. So Peter refuses to let Jesus humble himself to that level. He says, that's no place for my Messiah. That's no place for my King. And then I love Jesus's reply. He answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So then Peter goes from one extreme to the other. And he says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So then Peter's like, then wash it all. Give me a bath. Let's do this. Whatever, I don't know what you're doing, but whatever you got to do, just do it. I don't want to be kicked out over washing. (laughs) But here's what we need to see. If you're going to be in the game with Jesus, you have to understand what gets you in. It's not your strength. It's not your greatness. It's not your ability. It's not what you have to offer. It's your weakness. It's seeing that Jesus alone can save you from your sin and set you free and give you life. It's seeing that him and him alone is your salvation. See, Christianity is not a religion that tells you you get to heaven by doing the right things. Christianity is good news about what Jesus has done for us by his grace. You don't get to God by what you do. You get to God by what Jesus has done for you. Now, Peter doesn't get that yet. He doesn't quite understand the fullness of the gospel yet, but he will. And Jesus is showing him that the dirt on his feet is not the point. That ultimately Jesus came to humble himself, not just as a foot washer, but to give his life as a servant on the cross to serve us and to save us, not from dirt, but from death and sin. And so if you're going to be a servant of Jesus, you have to understand that that flows out of being served by Jesus. You have to receive him as your savior who died, who went to the lowest place for you, who came to serve you by taking your place. See, how are you going to lay yourself down and serve others again and again and again? How are you going to be able to forgive when it's absolutely impossible and painful? How are you going to be able to show patience when you've got nothing left? How are you going to be able to love all people without limit? You have to receive it from Jesus. He laid his life down for you. And now you have the power to lay your life down for someone else. He forgave all your sin 
And now you are set free to forgive the sin of others. He has been patient with you time after time after time. And now you are set free and empowered to be patient with others. He has loved you without limit. And only as you receive his love, can you give that love without limit to someone else. See, the more that becomes real to you, the more you receive the reality that Jesus came to serve you by giving his life as your ransom, that he actually lived the perfect life for you. He actually died on the cross for your sins, that he actually rose again for you. The more that becomes real, when you feel that, when that sinks in, when that clicks, then your heart will be transformed by the gospel to become a servant. Then you're not just checking things off a box. Now you're becoming somebody different because of what Jesus has done for you. So have you received Jesus as your servant? I hope and pray you have. Have you been changed by his sacrifice for you? Next, you have to realize the greatness of Jesus' sacrifice for you. Not only do you have to receive Jesus as your servant, you have to understand the greatness of his sacrifice. Now, what I mean is that it's easy to say words. You can say, I receive Jesus as my servant. You can say that all day long. Lots of people do. It's easy to agree with an idea, but Jesus takes it deeper. Look at verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? I love that. So after he does all this, he puts his, puts his rabbi garments back on. He sits back at his place. All eyes are on him. He says, do you get it? Do you really understand the depth of what I'm showing you right now? Do you really understand what you're witnessing and what's about to happen? Jesus says in verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. He says, I am the truth. I am Lord. Jesus is the beginning and the end. He's the one who created life, the universe, animals, oceans, galaxies, and human beings. He is literally the author and source of life itself. And he was king for all eternity, worshiped constantly by all of heaven. No rival, no competition at all. Yet Philippians 2 says he did not regard equality with God, a thing to be held on to but he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of men, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, there was no more brutal, humiliating death than crucifixion. It was reserved for the most hated, worst, despised criminals around. And yet Jesus Christ, because he loves you, set aside his glory and his prestige and his honor as God and became a servant. Took on human flesh to take our place. The one who was above it all became lower than all so that he might save you and give you life and transform you forever. Jesus says this in verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Jesus' point here is very simple and it's very clear. If our lives are not about serving others, 
we don't understand the greatness of what Jesus has done for us. I'm going to say that again. If our lives are not about serving others, we do not understand the greatness of what Jesus has done for us. It's that simple. If we measure greatness by how high above everyone else we are, if we measure it by how nice our house is, how new our cars are, what phone we have, how many likes we have on Instagram or whatever people use now, if we measure it by how high above everyone we are, then we will never be anything. Because true greatness is found in laying your life down for the good of others, not tearing them down for your own good. And there's no greater display of that than in the gospel. The last thing we see here, and this is so crucial, if we want to become servants, we have to respond out of being served. If we want to become servants of Jesus, we have to respond out of being served. Most people serve to get something. We try to be selfless, but it's impossible without Jesus. It really is. We serve to feel good about ourselves. We serve to look good. We serve to get appreciation and approval. But the only way you can ever really break that cycle and be free is if you serve out of all that you have in Christ. I want you to imagine for a second the difference between a cup and a water hose. I'm going to say this a bunch, so all day long. If you don't hear anything else, you're going to be thinking cup and water hose. This is going to be super fun. Hopefully, we'll have many conversations from here on about cups and water hoses. So a cup, I want you to think about If you're a cup this morning, you can only give away so much, and you're always looking to get filled back up so you're not empty. That's how a cup works. If you're a water hose, though, it's different. You can still do a lot of the same things, but you are not the source if you're a water hose. You have to hook a water hose up to something else, and then it flows through the water hose. So you can give endlessly if you're a water hose because you're not the source. So are you a cup or are you a water hose this morning? Are you your own source? Are you the source for everything you're trying to do right now? Or is Jesus? Is he flowing through you? Are you just a container that's trying not to get too far down to the bottom? Are you sucking life from everyone else or do you have life to give to everyone else? Cup or a water hose? Cup or a water hose? How many times was he going to do it? I'm going to stop. But you get it. Cup or a water hose? One more time. When you serve out of the fullness of Christ and how he has served you, you always have everything you need. When he is your source, he's always perfectly sufficient. So when we live by faith in Christ, we always find the patience we need. We always find the power that we need to forgive, to extend love. We always find the motivation we need to serve others. You will actually become, if you're finding Jesus to be your source, you'll actually become a servant of Jesus because you have been so deeply served by Jesus. I want to wrap up with reading verses 15 through 17. Jesus says, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, whenever he says truly, truly, listen, he's saying, don't miss this. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I love verse 17. Jesus says, you might understand the concepts. You might get it. What are you going to do with it? That's where the blessing is. That's where the power is. That's where you're going to experience Jesus in an incredible way. When you say, I'm not just here to hear a sermon. I'm not just here to learn more information. I'm here to do it. 
I know these things and I want to do them. I want to practice them. I want to be the servant Jesus has called me to be. That's the invitation of this this passage. Jesus is saying, okay, you've seen the point. You've heard the news. What are you going to do with it? And this call over these next few weeks is for us to be a church who says, we're not just going to spectate and take it in. We're going to step into the game off the bench and say, Jesus, here we are. What do you want? Let's go. There are neighborhoods around this church that need a church that's going to do that. There are broken people in your life that need someone to step up and say, I'm tired of thinking all about myself. I'm ready to start laying myself down to see someone else's life changed. That's what this world needs. Someone who's serious about Jesus and his kingdom. Someone who understands how they've been served and who says, now there's no greater privilege than for me to serve for him. Jesus doesn't just want you to serve. He wants you to be a servant. My prayer is over these next few weeks that the Lord would stretch us, teach us in a brand new way what that looks like, that we can be the church he's called us to be. Let's pray.